You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! You're now listening to Flatten the Call with today's special guest, Tiger's Jaw. Way back in 2008, they released a scene classic with their self-titled album. Tiger's Jaw has put out music with just about every single one of your favorite indie labels, as well as making the jump to the major for their last record, Spin. This Friday, they're back with a brand new LP, I Won't Care How You Remember Me, this time through Hopeless Records. Tonight and tomorrow, the band has a series of virtual in-store performances through Gallery of Sound, Smart Punk, Banquet Records, Newberry Comics, and Zia Records. They released their album with a bang on Friday, with the premiere of a free, full album live performance via YouTube. You can check out all those deets in the show notes, and keep listening for a deep dive on the journey of I Won't Care How You Remember Me. I'm always kind of curious, especially now with, you know, the pandemic, um, about kind of like the writing and recording timeline for releases. And I know I won't care how your memory has been kind of like a long time coming. So what, what did that kind of process look like for, for the album? Uh, yeah. So we, uh, we wrote and demoed and recorded the whole thing in a pre pandemic world. Uh, so we, we got together in early 2019 and uh, I had, I had some demos. Bree had a couple of demos and um, it was the, f- the first time we were all getting together, the four of us um, in sort of like an official, this is, you know, this is the official band. Uh, let's, let's make a record together kind of way. And um, so, yeah, all, all through early 2019, like first half of the year, we were getting together for a couple of days every month, pretty much. And uh, just hashing it out, working through demos, you know, run, running ideas past each other, and uh, you know, kind of, kind of like a back to the back to the basement approach. We, um, we mostly were in uh, Brianna's basement, just jamming, like kind of like the early days of the band, you know. So, uh, so it was it was really cool, and we got to we had the luxury of time because we weren't doing a whole lot of touring at at that point, and. Uh, Little did we know we we should have we should have got it while we could, um, but we uh, we recorded the album uh, in sort of in like late summer of 2019, and uh, you know finished a few extra things over the over the weeks after that, and then kind of got the mixes right at the beginning of 2020, and we were starting to map out what we were going to do for the album release and the tour and everything, and and. Uh, and yeah, that's when things kind of changed quite a bit. So we had to uh, rethink our our release strategy completely. 
Yeah. I mean, being kind of like so far removed from it at this point, how does it feel to kind of like have it officially about to be out in, you know, a little less than a month? It, it feels amazing. I love it. Even having like, we just put out new Detroit yesterday. Um, like, uh, maybe, I don't know, but uh, it was, even just having the fourth single out at this point, it just feels amazing. Having we waited so long at this point, you know, just feel really proud. Just, get it out there less than a month and i mean i know for both uh spin and this album you had it kind of you know fully written and recorded before you had any sort of record deal sign and i'm curious kind of what what is it about doing it that way that makes it like the best uh fit for you um neither uh neither time it like it wasn't an intentional thing i don't think it was just kind of how the timing lined up uh we've never been a band that would rush into anything um and it was nice to have some options but you know we've we've been lucky to work with some really great labels over the years and have never really felt like pressured to like do it like make a certain record or anything like that but there is a really cool liberating feeling about making a record with kind of no one else's expectations but your own and and, you know, on no one's time frame but your own. So it kind of just works really nicely with, um, you know, how, how we've always kind of done things with our band, which is just doing what feels natural and, you know, not forcing anything. It, it really has kind of been like a who's who of like the like DIY punk scene as far as like the labels you've jumped around to. How did like the, the relationship with Hopeless come about? Um, so a, a few years ago, before we put out spin, uh, we had been introduced to some of them, uh, most notably, uh, Eric Tobin, and we had been, you know, struck up a friendship and remained in touch over the, you know, over the years after that, you know, kind of during the, the spin touring cycle and whatnot. And, uh, when it came time to, uh, you know, talk about what was, what was next, we found ourselves free agents again, and we, kind of resumed the conversation and, um, you know, felt that it was a really good fit. Um, you know, it was a, a new, a new chapter for the band and with Colin and Teddy involved and, you know, we got, we got to meet with a new label team and, and kind of start everything over from scratch in, in like a really cool way. And you mentioned earlier how this is kind of like, this is the first official four-piece lineup record. And actually, it's funny, earlier this week, I talked to another band who years ago lost three members called Run River North. And it was really interesting to kind of hear about how it forced them to, you know, adapt and experiment in new ways. Um, Could you talk a little bit more about how like the songwriting evolved from like the early days to you and Brianna for Spin and then now with the four-piece? Yeah, so... In the early days, the, the, the band was like, uh, it was never a full-time thing. So we, we never had the luxury of like really spending a ton of time hashing stuff out, you know, collaborating a whole lot. It was, uh, it was kind of constricted by school schedules and, and work and things like that. So, you know, in, in the early days of the, of the band, uh, I think we seemed a lot busier than we actually were. We, we, we weren't able to tour a whole lot. We weren't, you know, uh, we weren't able to, to kind of follow the trajectory that a lot of our friends bands were, were on. So, um, so yeah, we just had 
we had stockpiled a lot of songs from the early days of the band and, you know, would, would record whenever we could. Um, but it would, it would always be like, for, for me, a lot of my songs, I would kind of fully demo out. I think that started because in the earliest days of the band, it was myself and Adam and, uh, we, uh, you know, we would write songs and, uh, a lot of times it was just the two of us. So we would like find friends to fill in for shows and stuff. But when I wrote a song, I, I was kind of thinking big picture and figuring out what's the bass going to do. What are the drums going to sound like? And, you know, kind of thinking about it holistically, you know, fast forward to, to spin, it was a much different process. It was kind of bringing things back to the, to the Genesis of the band, which is, you know, two people writing everything and growing a record that way. Uh, sort of like the earliest days. And instead of being myself and Adam, it was me and Brianna. Um, so it was really, really starting the process for this record, having Colin and Teddy involved. And I was able to, you know, not like change, change the way that I demo songs and show my demos to them in an earlier stage than I ever have, like with any previous records. Um, and there was something kind of cool about like the process of, of letting go because I had uh, because we had the luxury of time and because I just, after touring with, with these, these guys for so many years um, and playing so many shows together, uh, we just have built this level of trust in each other as people, as musicians, you know, and there's, there's just this great creative energy between the four of us. The, the, the chemistry on stage when we play live is, is amazing. And we, really, we, we wanted to channel that for this album. And then like and like Ben was saying, like the band's the busiest it's ever been since since Charmer, really, because that's when we just started full time touring. So you get hundred fifty ish, however many shows a year for however long. Like you, you build up that chemistry and you learn how each other, you know, how everyone plays. And it's like when it comes to writing, it's it felt really natural and and fun. And also just there's like a built-in confidence, you know, you, you trust everybody. And if you have an idea, you just, you vocalize it without question because everyone, everyone trusts your, each other's musical opinion. It felt really good. And it, it was, it's kind of funny, like circling the planet for years and then bringing it all back to Brianna's cold base. You know what I mean? <laughs> Something romantic about that in a, in a weird, weird way. <laughs> Sure. Yeah. And I mean, there's kind of always been sort of like an airy kind of like ethereal quality to the music. Um, but I feel like, you know, each kind of release has stepped that up and improved upon it. And this is kind of like, to me, the most full sounding incarnation of the band to date. I'm curious, kind of like, what was the the intention in crafting the overall sound of the album? Um, so I think one of the earliest conversations that I had with, with Will Yip about how I wanted the record to feel. Um, I referenced the the self-titled Third Eye Blind record because there's this like pretty wild energy and clarity to the production in that in that album. Um, there's there's not a whole lot of layers. You know, we we had just we'd come from making uh, making Spin, which is this very dense, very layered album, and you know that was exactly what we were shooting for, for that record. And, um, you know, we, we wanted to kind of change it up in a way that really complemented, um, 
the the live energy like that that we have when we when we play shows so we decided to approach it in a in a more stripped down way where we didn't do a lot of layering of of vocals of guitars of you know of of anything like that we we kind of uh used a like a less is more approach and uh, because of that, it, it sort of allowed for everything to stand out by its by itself in the mix. Like you can pick apart the different elements, and it really, uh, really kind of highlights like the human element of the recording. You know, you you can tell that there's a there's a person behind it. You know, playing like performing. Um, so that's what we were really trying to accomplish with this record, and uh, and the, the production kind of like we were we were pretty on like pretty much on the same page right from the jump. And, uh, you know, we were kind of thinking about the, the, the final mix and, and the, the production of it as we were, as we were tracking. Some of my favorite parts on like the album are like the guitar solos and lemon mouth and commit and like the, the synth lines of the intro of cat's cradle. Uh, and I feel like they each kind of have their own, you know, really cool, unique and emotional tones to them. Uh, can you talk a little bit about kind of like the highlighting of each of those parts and kind of you know, it usually goes over my head, but I love to hear people talk about like some of the gear that they use, like to get those unique sounds. Oh, of course. Um, yeah. I mean, just to kind of preface this, this whole section, like the way that we recorded because we, you know, because we allowed for so much room in the mix and allowed everything its own space. Um, you know, each, each track kind of has a lot more character to it. So you know, when you're, when you're thinking like you have to be a little bit more deliberate about, about exactly what tone you're, you're choosing and what gear you're, you're going to use. And, you know, overall, when you do a record, you kind of pick from the same tool. Like for me, I I pick from the same sort of tools, but you find, you fine tune it to each song. And we recorded, uh, we recorded it like not in terms of like, let's get all the drums done. And now let's get all the bass done. Um, we, we tracked it, you know, spending about a day and a half or two days on each song. Uh, so that way we really tailored the tones and the performance and everything specifically to that song rather than just, you know, Oh, today is bass day. We're going to just do all the bass for the whole record. So that was really, really helpful. You know, the sort of the parts like that, uh, that you had mentioned the, the lemon mouth solo, uh, so that's the that's the only song on the record where I I switch out and play bass, and Colin, our bass player, plays the guitar on that one, and that is just such a such a Colin sort of chord progression and such a Colin riff. Um, you know, he he's a big he's a big Stratocaster user, uh, and I'm not, which kind of makes it really cool because. Um, you know, I've, I've played guitar on every release of this band and have never used a Strat and, uh, you know, Colin plays the Strat on that song and, uh, and it still, it still sounds like Tiger's Jaw, you know, it's different, but still like has this, you know, inexplicable energy to it that, that feels like genuinely Tiger's Jaw. No, I know Ted, you know, Ted's, Ted's a gearhead too. He can definitely speak. Uh, oh yeah. I mean, switched out a lot of stuff like drums and cymbal wise. Cool thing we did on this record was uh, we, we would do these blind shootouts. So, so meaning like we wouldn't get a good drum tone and then blast through five songs. We'd be like, all right, we're, we're just doing this song. So then once we got like base idea of where like, the, like, the way the song was going to go, 
what's like the sonic direction, I guess. I would do two or three, maybe four different passes with all these different combinations. So like I do a pass with a brass snare. Uh, I'd have like, like dark, like a darker cymbal spread. I'd have moon gels on the toms and then I'd be like, all right, let me do another one. We do, we do like a wooden snare. We, we do like a maple snare or whatever. We just do all this, all this stuff. But like each, each run through would be like these weird little things I wanted to try. And then I'd go into the control room and Will would randomize all of them. We'd listen. And you got to have your ears really fine tuned. Cause I would, I would play myself half the time. You know what I mean? I feel like I, this song needs the brass snare. I loved how it sounded. And then I go into the room, we'd hear stuff back and it'd be like the one you liked the best was, was not what you thought, you know? So it's like, but that's what was cool. Cause you, you made your decision based on what the song needed. Then have four different tonal ideas to choose from for the song, at least drum wise. That was fucking. We did this. We did the same sort of thing. Uh, with bass, Colin would, you know, kind of play a section of the song with a with a precision bass, and then do you know re- do the same section with a jazz bass, and kind of, you know, blindly listen and see what uh, what suited the part better. Um, and then my my two main guitars that I use um, for the whole record, I have a 1977 Les Paul Gold Top that was converted from mini humbuckers to normal humbuckers. And then I have a Nash Wayfarer um, that also has humbuckers. I've kind of exclusively used humbucking pickups, you know, pretty much forever. I like the I like the very big open chords that you can get with them, but I like how they tighten up really nicely when you're playing like palm muting parts or or bar chords. Um, but anyway, we would do a shootout too of like guitar riffs, like which one carries this riff, you know better or which one you know what what tone kind of fits better for this part um so it was a lot of trial and error um and i think having the uh having the the luxury of like spending a full you know two days or something on each song and really really giving it the attention it deserves and really tailoring the 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 tones and the performances to that song specifically really made each song have its own purpose on the record its, its own voice on the record uh, but still feel cohesive. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, I think I saw in one of the articles I read reference to something like 12 hour days, six days a week for however many weeks to record this. And I feel like that, you know, probably comes with the the special relationship that you have with Will from working with him for so much over the years. What is it kind of about him that keeps you, you know, coming back to him? And I guess Teddy is it being your first time with him. What was that kind of like experience like for you? I think the thing about Will is, is like his his attitude is is everything. Like your days in of like ten hour days, and you've given it all you got, and you know, instead of making you feel like you blew it, he'll be like, "That was all sweet, but I know." like you could do that better. Like he just gets the best out of you. He gets the best takes out of you. Like when you think you're tapped out, you, you still got 50% left in the gas tank. You know what I mean? I think that's what I liked about working with Will is really, uh, you know, he grinds your ass down in the, in the most positive way. Like there's, there's nothing negative about that. Like if you, at the end of the day, your arms feel like macaroni noodles and you feel like shit, that's nothing to complain about. You got to play drums for 10 hours a day. You know what I mean? Like there are rules. There's nothing negative that comes from that. You became a better musician after the fact. And that's, I mean, the whole, 
whole recording process with Wills. He's really good at that. And like, you know, keeping you coming back and excited and motivated and, you know, makes you feel like you're, you know, aside from the record, you're becoming a better musician throughout this entire process as well. So I like working for sure. He's, he's just so great to work with. I mean, he will like, when you're getting ready to do pre-production for a record and you know, you've sent him over kind of like your, your earlier demos or your full band demos or, or whatever, like he really shows how much he cares about each record because he listens to the demos and he makes notes and he remembers things. Like I can ask him about a demo of a song that was on Charmer and he'll, he'll somehow remember how the demo went and what we did to change it for the actual record. Like he, he gets so invested and cares so much about each project that, you know, the record kind of becomes part of, part of him. And he sort of becomes, you know, part of the band for that process. Like he's another voice that is thinking within the context of the band. He's, he's not trying to put his own personal stamp on every record. He's trying to figure out how his thing fits into each different band that he's working with. The, the other great thing about Will is, you know, he does have this amazing positive energy. And even at the end of like the most brutal day, like, you know, recording can get dark sometimes. Like you're wrestling with like a lot of uh, personal emotions and, you know, physical limitations and you can get frustrated with yourself and uh, you know, you're, uh, especially like doing vocal takes and stuff like writing lyrics and all that, like it, it can get very, uh, you know, very personal and very heavy at times. And, and he's just really good at navigating those situations and keeping, uh, you know, keeping the momentum of the record going and uh, you know, making everybody feel good and feel productive. And even at the end of a 10 hour grueling day of recording, you still want to, hang out with him and go grab drinks afterwards. And it's like, you can't really say that about too many people. Like you mostly would be like, no, I need some time by myself. Like I, I need to get away from you guys. Uh, but we, we had such a great working relationship and personal relationship that, you know, it just, it just felt great spending that much time together and, and really digging in deep to make this record. Yeah. That, that's really awesome. Um, and obviously, you know, the phrase, I won't care how you remember me is, you know, the focal point of the record being the title track, the name of the first track, you know, even the first lyric on the album. I, I feel like it seems like a very specific choice to make it. I won't care instead of, I don't care. Can you talk a little bit about that and kind of like what the phrase means in the context of the album? Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's a, it's a sort of a little bit of a defiant statement about, you know, accepting things for what they are and, being accountable for them, but also recognizing that you can't control everything. And, you know, it, it's, it's important to take stock of what you can and, and can't change and to learn from it and figure out how to move forward. You know, we, we get really, it's easy to get caught up in, in stuff that, you know, it, it's not beneficial to remain you know, in that headspace, it, it, you know, you have to navigate those situations and be able to move forward. So it's sort of like a promise to yourself. I won't care, you know, kind of looking forward um, and figuring out how to move yourself forward. Uh, it's also sort of a statement about just 
being more present, being more in the moment, um, you know, not dwelling about the past and, you know, being, yeah, just being more present in a time where there's a million different things screaming for our attention at any given moment during the day. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of about, about taking that time for yourself and being more present. For sure. Yeah. And, um, you know, a lot of the themes on the record kind of deal with like, you know, interpersonal relationships and loss. And I feel like it feels very interconnected, like almost to the point where I can see it being like a concept album. Could you talk a little bit about how kind of like the, the songs relate to each other? Yeah. Uh, I think that they, they sort of connect with each other because there's a lot of personal honesty within the lyrics and within like kind of the, the stories that are told in, in the lyrics. Um, you know, even when the lyrics come from a different place, like Brianna wrote a lot of lyrics, you know, most, most of the lyrics for her own songs, Teddy contributed with some lyrics to, uh, to one of her songs. And the song commit was sort of a group effort between me and Brianna, you know, so the Genesis of, you know, the, the inspiration for, for these lyrics came from kind of personal experiences. And I think that, you know, I've, I've experimented in the past with kind of writing from other people's perspectives and it's, it's cool to do that. And, and it's inspiring to do that. But uh, sometimes like the most gratifying thing is to really look, look in and write with honesty and with courage, you know, and, um, it's really hard to do that sometimes and, you know, kind of like enter that vulnerable space. But when you do it, it's like more rewarding. I think. I also see like, like from, from day one of Ben demoing on his own to sending us demos and to track it. I, I see that all as like, like, like a time capsule. So it's like any, anything we write is going to be, correlated in, in some way because we all went through that together whether like one song like two songs were written and then three months later a new song idea came up like that entire time period is, is you know that's like just like a great you know it's, it's just a great way of capturing who we were at that at that point as a band you know what i mean so i think just this naturally um just the songs blend together in that way it's not like they're you know you know Sometimes you get songs that were written four years prior. You know, there might be, a, a, you know, there's always exceptions of like riffs and ideas and stuff. But like, you know, it, even another thing too, when we were tracking, um, there were a couple songs that had like major changes at like the 11th hour. Like we're in the studio, the song's already pre-proed. We're like three weeks in and we make the decision to cut the chorus and redo the entire, the entire thing, you know, and like, it's things like that that really like really really capture the the moment you know what i mean it's not like we tracked and then took six months off and then ben went back and redid his vocal no we did that shit there and the second we left the studio the record was fucking done you know what i mean and i i'm I'm like a big advocate you know obviously with uh things permit and you got to go back that's fine but I believe like you got your time booked, you finished the album in that time period. And like, that's, that's it. It just helps blend it all together. Sure. Yeah. And you, you mentioned how kind of like the, um, the lyrics are very much from, you know, a personal place. Uh, but it, it's also interesting to me that like the, the lyrical style of Tiger's Jaw tends to be a little bit more like not sparse, but kind of like leaves more to the imagination compared to some of like your peers who are, you know, very, 
obvious and hard on your sleeve with uh, their lyricism. I'm curious what it is about that that part of the approach that appeals to you. You can't give away too much, I guess. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I don't know. I I think that like the the true stream of consciousness sort of writing style is not me. Um, so a lot of times I will, you know, when I'm working on lyrics or trying to get inspired, I will do sort of like writing exercises in that style, but I never look at that and say like, Oh, you know, that's, that's, you know, those are lyrics right there. It's like more so like, these are, these are ideas that I can build from. Um, and I, I, uh, I do like to kind of toe the line between specificity and anonymity in lyrics, you know, like, it, it's there's there's enough of a, of like a glimmer of like specificity where um you know where there's truth in it but then there's also you know i i leave a few things a little more open-ended because you know it's like a how does this relate to me and how can it relate to other people i think it's also just like so much of it is just who you are as a person what what you're comfortable saying and writing out loud you know what i mean like i was a great example i was thinking about this like any every band i've ever been in since i was 15 whether i was right playing guitar singing or playing drums i've never put someone's name in the song i've never i've never jessica in a in a fucking song you know what i mean i never said my girlfriend's name in the goddamn song and that i feel like that's literally that's got to be some weird that's gotta be some DNA strand where you go for it and you say that person's name or you don't, you know what I mean? I don't know. We've dyers. Is there anything in the back catalog with a specific name? Yeah, there's, there's, there's a couple name drops, but you know, it's not like, it's not like a, like a direct, per, like personal relation, but it's like, you know, just a name worked in a name worked in the lyrics. And I mean, also kind of like going off that point of, you know, comparisons to peers. I mean, you're often mentioned in the same breath as bands like Tidal Fighter, Balancing Composure, and the Menzingers. Um, I kind of personally think more of like Pedal and Slingshot Dakota. Uh, I'm curious, can you talk about kind of like just the role that your music, uh, that the musical community has like played in your career? Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you start you start playing shows in this really small microcosm of a scene in a in a small town that you know there's nothing really better to do but whatever you create for yourself and you know we we meet other people and amazingly we you know we grew up in a in a part of the of the country where like you know we we were friends with the menzingers and captain were sinking and three man cannon and uh, you know a little bit later we met title fight and like our world just kept expanding and we kept meeting people who were you know, a little bit further away from Scranton. And, um, and, and it was, it was really that sort of community that helped grow our, our band, you know, like the earliest tours that we did were show trades, you know, like through networking on MySpace, you know, you would, you would search for bands in different areas and, and hit them up and be like, Hey, let's trade shows. Um, you know, so, so little by little, you know, you're like 15, 16, 17 years old, and you're driving a little bit further out of your hometown to play a show, you know, every couple months and, and gradually that grows into touring and, you know, doing weekend tours or whatever. And then, you know, a few years later, we're touring across the country and then eventually touring in, you know, other countries. So 
it's just this like gradual growth. And I think we've been really um, sort of, <clears throat> sort of just like personally attracted to other bands that, um, that come from a similar place, like as people, like people that are authentic and don't really have this agenda other than creating art that they're, that they're stoked on and that they're proud of. Um, you know, so, so we've been, you know, kind of lumped in with a lot of different bands that sound very, very different, you know, when you look at the whole spread, but I think the common thread that unites all those bands is, you know, this, this sort of like working class rock band ethic and like, you know, creating art for the sake of creating something special. Um, you know, not like starting a band because, you know, you want to make money or you want to follow a trend or whatever. Like there's a lot of individualism in each of those acts and, you know, that's what makes them different and unique, but that's that common thread also ties them together. It's funny. You mentioned like, you know, train shows over my space. Like what, what is some of the kind of the biggest changes and like that have happened since, since those days? <laughs> what hasn't changed? I mean, you know, there's, there's social media, you know, social media has changed everything. Spotify has changed everything. Um, you know, everything looks different. Uh, and you know, you kind of have to figure out where you fit in, in the changes that happen, you know, and, and that kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier. Like we've always operated this band in, in a way that we do what feels genuine. We, we do it, what feels natural, you know, and, uh, we didn't hire a booking agent until it felt right to hire a booking agent. You know, we, we did a lot of things very DIY and still do like, we, we don't have a manager. Um, we're, we're self-managed. Um, you know, we, we kind of keep a really small team, um, you know, and like, I, I would recommend that a lot of bands kind of do that and, and, you know, don't get too caught up in like, Oh, we have to have, this, you know, agent or a manager or a label right away. Like the, those formative years of, of, uh, you know, playing to nobody and sleeping on a hardwood floor. Like I wouldn't trade that for anything. Um, you know, th th those are the most valuable experiences that put everything into perspective and that make everything that you do accomplish worth it. I think that's what also makes music at this level so just so fun and exciting and fresh not literally ever gotten dull because every year the landscape completely changes like we were making the joke like i was actually doing this recently i was working with um a couple friends from detroit where i'm from and you know i just plopped in for a couple days to a session with some buddies and after three or four days it was like uh you know the songs were done and the last time I was at that studio when the record was done, he handed, he, he bounced all the songs on a CD and he gave me a CD and said, here's the music you just recorded. See you later. And I remember leaving and putting it in my car and listening to it when I drove home. And I, we, I made the joke. I was like, I'm leaving here. But last time you gave me a CD and now you're just sending me a Dropbox link of like this, you know? And like, nothing wrong with that. It's just like, for, again, like MySpace bulletins, what, what the hell are we even talking about? You know what I mean? There's people that don't even know what that even means now that like, People that love Tiger's Jaw and were like, you know, the babies when MySpace was a thing. That's why every year is different. I couldn't tell you streaming was going to be 
a, you know, a giant of, of the industry, but here, here we are, you know, what's going to consume it in two years. Keeps it, keeps you on your toes though. Keeps it fun. For sure. Yeah. A couple of years ago, I was interviewing the band Silverstein. It was the 10 year anniversary of their uh, album, A Shipwreck in the Sand. And they had like put up, uh, you know, I think they, they released it like a couple days early on MySpace. And I was like, wow, that seems like so far ahead of its time, ahead of like the premiere culture that, you know, what it turned into in like the 2010 era. <laughs> Definitely. It's just, yeah, completely different. The way that you get your, uh, the way that you get your music to people is just completely changed. Yeah, I just thought of, have you heard, have you heard of a record recently that got leaked? <laughs> Do records get leaked anymore? Like a week before it got leaked, it's on, you know, download. I feel like I don't see that anymore. It's been, a, it's been a while since I've heard about that, but it's happened to us. Uh, and it didn't, it did not feel good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, now it's, it's mostly, I feel like surprise drops more than anything. So like the, you know, five month or so, uh, you know, release schedule that you've been on for this album is kind of, you know, different for sure. I mean, how is, how did that kind of come about? Uh, so when we got the record mixed and mastered in early 2020, we were, you know, obviously, aware of what was happening in the news and you know pe like people were talking about the virus and how it was going to become like you know a legitimate threat and was going to really change you know the landscape of everything economy and you know whatever so we were like let's wait and see um you know we wanted to put the record out you know and maybe like early fall of 2020 and go on or thing but like it doesn't seem like you know doesn't seem like that's a sure shot. So let's hold off a little bit. So we held off for like a month or two and, you know, the news got worse and worse and the prognosis got worse and worse. So we were like, I don't want to wait on this record when we have no idea when things are going to go back to any sort of normalcy. So what feels more right is to kind of just pivot a little bit and release the record and just figure out other ways to connect with people and, you know, put a lot of emphasis into you know, early, early on in the pandemic, we were doing a lot of acoustic uh, live stream stuff like that. We did a full band live stream at studio four. Uh, we started rolling out the record and we put a lot of time and effort into uh, making music videos. And we did a lot of, uh, we did three out of the four in a very sort of DIY sense where, you know, it was kind of all hands on deck. We enlisted the, the help of a lot of really close friends from, from our, you know, where we grew up. And, uh, you know, really put in the work to make something that was very us and very special. Um, and the, the final sort of piece of the rollout is a, uh, a full band, uh, like a, like an album playthrough in lieu of a record release show where, uh, we're going to, we're going to premiere a, uh, you know, sort of like a full album live, uh, performance. Awesome. Yeah. The, the one that, uh, RT Strange did recently for his album was like amazing. <laughs> that was a yeah, studio. It was so good. So good. His, his voice is incredible. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, I'm curious, like how have you kind of noticed uh, fans connecting to the album so far, you know, compared to the, the more traditional relics that you've had in the past? Um, it, it's been super, super encouraging, you know, uh, like I've been, I've been in this band a long time, you know, we, we just passed the 15 year mark, you know, that's 
pretty much half of my life. And, um, you know, to be putting out new music now and people are, you know, are reacting really positively and really showing how excited they are, you know, through, through whatever, through social media posts, you know, Twitter and Instagram and people DMing the band and even me personally, uh, you know, through, through friends sending me text messages saying like, Hey, I, I checked out the new song. It's, you know, it's amazing. You know, the, just kind of being bombarded, you know, it's like sensory overload with all the social media and, and whatnot, but, but it's just really encouraging, you know, this many years in to see such a positive reaction to a new album. Um, and it reminds me why we do what we do and that, you know, we, we still have, a lot of things we want to accomplish with this, with this band. And there's more, more places for us to go, you know, so many more shows to play and a lot of, a lot of music to, to keep writing. Sure. Yeah. And I, I always like to wrap up in the same way, which is just by, you know, asking for a piece of advice or something you've been thinking about lately, whether it's music or life in general or whatever, you just kind of want to get off your mind. If you're going the music route, the longer I've done it, the best advice I give is like the longer you do it, just keep going back to square one and asking yourself why you're doing it in the first place. That's when you're going to make your best shit always. You know what I mean? Perfect example of us. We wrote, you know, like as we spoke earlier in the interview, we wrote this record. We weren't even on a label. We, you know, we had just been dropped by a major label. So yeah, we were just dropped by a major label and we're back in Brianna's basement and we're going like, we're all, you know, we're adults now. And, Everyone's, I'm sitting behind drums, something I've done since I was five. Everyone's holding guitars. Ben's played guitar his whole life. We're sitting there like, why would we be here if we didn't love what we do? You know what I mean? And you just write music for us, write music what we love. And like, I, I think the more genuine you are and you can tune out that what the outer world has to say at like the beginning stages, that's, I mean, they'll make, they'll make you happy in the long run. Then you're, you're more proud of what you did. Also, music is, is, is a sub is subjective like the people are there there will absolutely be people that think this is the worst record they ever heard in their life and i'm cool with that you know what i mean that's what it is that's gonna happen you know what i mean so like i'm happy with it i think it's i think it's rock album in the year so that's good enough for me and ben's soloing over this whole thing let's go dude my best, my best advice is, yeah, like, you know, n- know why you're doing what you're doing and, uh, you know, make sure that it comes from a genuine place. And then, you know, you, you, you won't look back on it with like a, a regret or whatever, because you knew, you know, you knew your reasons for doing what you were doing. A, a major, you know, a major like life shift focus that, uh, you know, that I've thought about lately kind of ties in directly with the record and, and with the title of it. And, you know, like you can't, you can't control how, how everyone is going to look at you or interpret the things that you do. So as long as, you know, as long as you are accountable for yourself and you know, you know, who you are and, you know, how you relate to other people, uh, you know, that's, what's most important. Um, you, you can't always care what everyone else thinks. You have to just be accountable for yourself and, and care what, what you think. And, um, our, our record sort of is about that. And, um, yeah, so that's, that's sort of my, my takeaway is, is live in the moment. Uh, it's, it's not a statement about not being accountable. It's, it's 
actually, it's absolutely about being accountable for who you are and your decisions that you make. Uh, but, but it's not getting hung up on stuff that, you know, like little mistakes that you made that, you know, you're, you're stressing about, um, when all you can really do is learn from it and figure out how to, how to become better from it. Yeah. I think that really shines through in both, both the music itself and the, the, the message of the album. <laughs> is, is there anything else about the album that you've kind of been really looking forward to getting out that we haven't hit on already? I'm not sure. I, I'm just, I'm excited. Like, you know, it's always, it's always a tough thing when you write an album and you spend a ton of time on the sequencing of it. And, you know, like for this record, for this recording session, we had, we tracked 16 songs and we built an 11 song album out of that. And, you know, we were like very deliberate about which songs were going to be on the record and about the, the, you know, the order of the tracks on the record. Uh, because as a, as a music listener, I think about music in a, you know, in an album sense, you know, how it makes you feel from, from the time you hit start on the, on the first track until, you know, through, through the whole thing and, and you know, how the, how the album wraps up, um, you know, it's sort of a, a whole journey and it's, it's deliberate and the way that the songs flow into the next, you know, there's, there's a lot of thought behind that. So um, releasing song, you know, releasing singles has always felt a little bit strange when you think about it in the context of the whole album. So I'm most excited for people to hear the whole thing and hear it in the way that we intended, hopefully. And, you know, sometimes streaming services, like it's a great way for more people to hear your stuff. And it's a great way to make different playlists and, and whatnot. Um, so what I, what I do hope that a lot of people, uh, you know, will recognize is that with any album, you know, it's intended to be listened to from start to finish. So when people do have the time to give it a thoughtful listen, there a lot of, a lot of thought and, and deliberation went into the actual track listing and everything. Thanks so much to Tiger's Jaw for taking the time to talk and be sure to give, I won't care how you remember me a listen on Friday. This is very much a sit down headphones on lyric sheet up album for me. So I highly suggest you carve out some time to fully appreciate it in that way. And I'm super stoked to see how it translates live, so get to the gigs this week. Before I say goodbye for now, I just wanted to let you know real quick about an awesome podcast called Welcome to Geekdom. The show is hosted by my friend Deanne Chapman, who produces Finn McKenty's Punk Rock MBA podcast, as well as working with the URM podcast and a whole bunch more. Each week, Deanna dives deep with guests about something they can nerd out over, whether it's a movie, TV show, comic, band, or anything else. If you enjoy flying the call and want more of people talking about what they love, Welcome to Geekdom is right up your alley. An episode just dropped yesterday on the band Motion City soundtrack. Other recommended places to start would be Alan Moore's Saga of the Swamp Thing, anything Star Wars or MCU related, or the selection of past episodes I've been on talking about The Wonder Years, the medium of vinyl records, and more. Head over to podpage.com slash welcome-to-geekdom to listen and check out the show notes for other relevant links. Find the Call is brought to you by Sound Talent Media. A special thank you as always to the alternative for up and promote the show, Kaylin West of Tiny Stills for the theme song, and Michaela Jane Palermo for the artwork. You can keep up to date by subscribing to the podcast and following the show on Twitter and Instagram at flyinthecallpod. Feel free to email any questions, comments, or other feedback to me at flyinthecallpod at gmail.com. Have a great day. You deserve it. Fly on your call.
Hey everyone, this is Tuck from Fit for a King in Off-Road Minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Mods to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media.